You're listening to Morning Edition from NHPR. I'm Rick Amley, and it is time for the New Hampshire News Recap. Let's get into this week's top headlines. It's been town meeting season in New Hampshire, and voters made some big decisions across the state and local elections this week. The statewide task force released a report with recommendations for courts on how they handle domestic violence cases and House Democratic Speaker Renny Cushing has died at the age of 69. Joining us now to talk about all of that and more are NHPR reporters Casey McDermott and Todd Buckman. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Hi, Rick. Hi, Casey. Well, a lot of things happening uh, this week, as always. A lot of NHPR's town meeting coverage this year has been tied to a reporting project that I know you've been leading, Casey. It is called In Our Backyard. Can you tell us about the series and the kinds of stories that have come up so far? Sure. So if people are interested, they're welcome to go to nhpr.org slash backyard to find all of our coverage so far. And what they'll find there are really, um, you know, stories and conversations that try to focus on local democracies. So we're talking about select boards. We're talking about school boards. Um, Pretty soon you will find some conversations about libraries and the role that they play in our community. But what we're really trying to do is focus on civic engagement, how people are relating to each other, how people are relating to the decision-making in their community and how all of that is being affected by polarization, misinformation, and other factors in this political moment. Yeah, seeing how it's evolved over time as exactly. well. Yeah. Exactly. Let's get into an issue that dozens of towns voted on this week, whether to eliminate ballot counting machines. I know, Todd, you followed how this, this played out in the one town, uh, the town of Milton this week. Tell me more about where that, that movement to, to hand count ballots came from. Sure. So, you know, really since the, the 2020 election, we've seen vote counting machines become um, almost like a scapegoat for, for supporters of, of President Trump who, who who falsely claimed that the election was was rigged or, or somehow stolen. And we've seen these these vote counting machines questioned in state after state where, where the president lost. Uh, locally, the, the, the target has been the AccuVote. This is the only approved ballot counting device in New Hampshire. If you live in a town or a city that uses the AccuVote, uh, you know that you don't actually vote using the machines. It's a counting device. You slip your ballots into it, and then it counts them. The machine itself kind of looks like this giant paper shredder. Uh, but but you know, in town after town in New Hampshire, we've seen activists gather signatures to to get an item on the ballot at town meeting to ban the use of these machines and revert back to a hand count. We we were able to identify at least a dozen towns in New Hampshire where this was on the ballot um, uh, this week. That includes uh, Milton. And Casey and I have been reporting that it appears that the measure was defeated everywhere it was on the ballot. We haven't seen uh, a single town yet approve it. And and again, to be clear, plenty of towns do use hand counts, uh, but it's it's one thing to hand count in, you know, a place like Francistown where you may get a thousand votes uh, versus a town like Bedford where where 15,000 votes are going to be cast. Right. And we should point out, I mean, these machines have been used for decades. For decades. Yeah. The technology dates back to the late 1980s. These are not Internet enabled Uh, machines. Uh, they do not connect to the internet. They rely on this memory card that gets programmed uh, before each election. It gets slipped into the machine, and and that's sort of the 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 technology that's used to uh, to ensure uh, what what a lot of state officials say is an accurate count. And I know you talked to um, the Secretary of State about this too, didn't you? Yeah. So so Dave Scanlon is the Secretary of State. He has been extremely supportive of these machines. You know, he 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 readily admits, you know, they're machines. They can break down on election day. They jam, they overheat. Like, you know, the, um, these are not perfect devices. He'll also note that they're not as good at figuring out a voter's intent as a hand count is. 
but when recounts have been done, you kind of have this perfect test case scenario where you can compare a hand count after using the AccuVotes. And Scanlon says, you know, time and time again, these machines have proven themselves accurate. And when uh, uh, there have been mistakes, it's usually because of human math errors. Uh, I think we have a little bit of tape of, of Dave Scanlon. Given the climate that we have today, we just have to do a better job of being transparent and explaining the process and helping people understand that the system that we have is a really, really good one. And is that what other officials are telling you as well, uh, Todd? Yeah, we heard a lot of support for these machines at the local level as well. The the moderators, the clerks, uh, the folks that are are actually processing the ballots. I think there's a lot of fear, a lot of trepidation in larger communities about just what it would look like if you have to hand count, uh, you know, tens of thousands of ballots. Remember, in a lot of towns, these ballots have 30, 40 questions on them. Each town meeting, just a lot of a lot of fear uh, um that, that a hand count situation would just stretch for hours and hours, possibly longer. And, you know, in that vacuum, you, you, you sort of have a lot of things that could that could happen. And do towns have enough volunteers to do all of that work, too? That That's a big yeah. question, too. A lot of towns have cited that as, as a glaring issue if they have to do a hand count. Like right. who who's going to step up and do that that counting? So, Casey, what do, what did voters across the state decide this week with with town town meetings? Yeah. So, as as Todd said, we identified about a dozen communities where this was on the ballot, and in most places, the measures to um, propose hand counting uh, were resounding resoundingly rejected. Um, it was actually closest in Milton, that community that that Todd was focusing on. Um, there, the measure about hand counting failed by only about eleven votes. But we should point out that that measure was less definitive than some of the other ones that were on the ballot. In other communities, um, in Milton, voters were deciding whether the moderator should consider implementing hand counting, not that they must implement hand counting. So that's worth keeping in mind, too. Mm -hmm. And we talked with the town moderator from Milford here on Morning Edition a couple of weeks ago. He told us that he's been trying to get help from the state to get new vote counting machines. He said even though the AccuVote machines do the job well, they are not manufactured anymore. They are old technology. And there's an issue with making sure that you, you can get parts. That It's hard to get them repaired. Uh, Casey, what's the state doing for local towns who, who need to get an upgrade? Well, you know, we, we should clarify that the the agency or the body really that um, has jurisdiction over this issue is the Ballot Law Commission. And they're the ones responsible for approving what kind of machines can be used. Um, as, as Todd in indicated, um, right now only one machine is approved for kind of full use in New Hampshire. Um, there are discussions and plans underway to pilot a new model with, um, you know, keeping in mind that the ones that have been in use in New Hampshire are getting old. It's hard to source the parts, um, as Todd has reported. Um, Milford had hoped to test out a new kind of ballot counting machine, but they couldn't really get on the same page with the state about what that pilot would look like in time for this year's town elections. So we'll just have to kind of wait and see. But it is important to um, keep in mind that historically, cities and towns have been the ones that are on the hook for paying for these machines, paying for the parts. Um, So we'll see if that remains the case. It is also kind of interesting to note that um, at least one community, Milan, um, recently, you know, went back to hand counting, not by vote, but, you know, the the, um, 
moderate or the clerk there, excuse me, had advised her select board that hand counting would be a better fit because they only have about 800 voters. They were one of the smallest communities that were using their machine. And it was just getting too expensive and kind of cumbersome to keep up with the maintenance of their their machine. So that was kind of a, you know, unique case in the grand debate over hand counting or machine counting that we're having here. We'll keep an eye on things as they progress here in the, in the Grand Estate, as we always do. This is Morning Edition on NHPR. We are recapping this week's news with NHPR's Todd Bookman and Casey McDermott. And if you've got some questions about our reporting and you'd like to inform it, you can always email us at voices at nhpr.org. I want to turn our attention to something else that happened over the week. A review of how domestic violence cases are processed here in New Hampshire courts was released this week. It's a statewide task force that found shortages in the number of attorneys and advocates that are available for survivors. Todd, who was in this task force and why was it created in the first place? Sure. So so this task force was created after a, um, a really sort of horrific incident last November. A woman from Hampton was, uh, was shot uh, by a former partner. That man then killed himself. Um, the woman had uh, less than a month earlier gone to court asking for a restraining order. Uh, she had outlined um, um, threats and violence that she had experienced, uh, but the protective order was was denied. Uh, that prompted this really sweeping review of the of the entire system for handling domestic violence cases in New Hampshire's legal system. This commission was led by Supreme Court Justice Anna Barbara Hans Marconi. It consisted of of a range of of all the sort of top players, all the agencies, court staff, law enforcement. A, a really major under undertaking. What did they find? Well, the report is really wide ranging. It, uh, it, it touches on every part of of this broader system. Uh, some of the standout findings, uh, from my perspective, um, just 13% of domestic violence victims uh, have legal re- representation or a legal advocate in court. Uh, the programs that provide these support services uh, are just too overstretched to meet the demands. Um, there were issues flagged over communication between all the various agencies involved. Yeah, I will say that the, the overall findings, though, were that the, the the protocols, the processes in place, you know, are, are largely effective. That that was the finding. So we're not expecting a massive overhaul of the law, uh, but there it was pointed out that these cases are really um, they're handled differently from courthouse to courthouse, and that was a major concern. Trying to get some more consistency in this system. So consistency. Any other changes that they're suggesting? Yeah, uh, one thing that I would expect uh, will be worked on are court forms. They were cited as hard to find online, uh, hard to read, hard to navigate. Uh, The hope is that perhaps uh, law school students could be used to step in and help uh, domestic violence victims uh, fill out these forms and also perhaps appear with them in some sort of advocate role in in court. And then... um, also, uh, a movement to make sure that anyone who files a domestic violence petition is directed to a local crisis center so that they can um, um, seek resources and, and, and do some safety planning. But that's just a few. There were, there were more than 40 recommendations made in total. All right. We'll be watching more for that. And thank you for that, Todd. I want to turn your attention to now to, to um, what happened earlier this week. Democratic House leader Rennie Cushing died at the age of 69. I know, Casey, you've been reporting on this. What can you tell us about Cushing and his impact on the legislature and the state of New Hampshire? Sure. So, um, you know, 
Cushing was really kind of a fixture of New Hampshire politics and New Hampshire progressive politics for decades. Um, and, you know, one thing that I think has been notable is the outpouring of tributes that we've seen, um, not just from his colleagues on the progressive side of the aisle, but across the board, um, including Republicans. And I think that really speaks to um, the impact that he had on the state and its politics and also the way that he approached his job at the state house. I think that one of the things that we've heard from people is that he really, um, you know, even if he fiercely disagreed with someone on the opposite side of the aisle. He was generally, you know, pleasant and collegial to everyone he worked with. Um, I think that this also was evident um, in his decades-long fight to get rid of the death penalty in New Hampshire. That was really one of his marquee achievements in office. Um, That culminated in 2019. It was a really drawn-out battle. The legislature passed it. The governor vetoed it. And then the legislature ultimately, um, with a coalition that included progressives, conservatives, and others, um, overrode the governor's veto. Um, So, you know, that certainly, I think, will be part of um, Cushing's lasting legacy in the state. Okay. Thanks for that, Casey. I want to ask you both before we we, uh, wrap up today, what else you're reporting on right now and what we should be on the lookout for from you. How about you, Casey? Sure. So, um, you know, as I said, we will continue to bring you more stories and segments as part of our In Our Backyard project. Stay tuned next week for a conversation with um, a librarian about, you know, how she's navigating this moment. Um, And, um, you know, we'll continue to kind of welcome your feedback if you have thoughts on how you're relating to kind of engagement and democracy in your community, um, please email us at voices at nhpr.org. Yeah, we want to hear from you. You can inform our reporting when you do that. Absolutely. Todd, how about you? What are you working on and uh, what are you watching out for? Sure. So um, like Casey, I'm going to continue uh, covering, um, you know, sort of grassroots activism around election issues and then uh, uh, hope to publish later today a story uh, about 911 calls in the state and a recent Supreme Court case that uh, looked into whether or not these calls, the audio recordings of 911 calls, uh, should be um, uh, shielded from public view, if they should remain exempt from the state's right to know law, or if there should be more transparency in, uh, into those phone calls. Okay, we'll be watching for that. Thank you both, Casey McDermott and Todd Bookman from NHPR. By the way, you can always find more of the reporting at nhpr.org. Thank you both. Thanks, Rick. Thank, thank you, Rick. Again, you can find the work at NHPR.org. And if you missed any part of today's segment or if you want to catch up on previous week's recaps, you can do that where you find your podcast. Find the New Hampshire News Recap wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'll be here next Friday with more top headlines as always. I'm Rick Anley, and this is Morning Edition from NHPR.